Well, good morning. I trust you've had a great camp meeting so far. How many of you here have just come in this morning and this is your first meeting? Let me see your hands. How many of you here have been here all week? All right. This is the faithful crowd of camp meeting. Amen? God is good. Uh, that was Lola Lawson from Wilmington who led our songs today. I don't know about you, but that was just a little high for me, huh? If that was dropped down about three octaves, I think I could join in with that song. But she was up there pretty good, wasn't she? Beautiful voice, songbird-like, just not for me. <laughs> One of these days in heaven, I'm going to be able to sing all that stuff, see? And really, they only let me sing the benediction when I sing, because when I sing, people leave. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it is here on this earth with the voice that God has given me. Uh, Georgia Giberson from High Point is going to have our special music in just a moment. Uh, let me pray with you, please. Father in heaven, this morning, as we are gathered as your children, we look to our shepherd to minister, to do what needs to be done in our lives. May he speak to us. May our servant this morning receive a, a message from our shepherd that might draw us closer to your son and that we might love him more. Thank you for what you do in our lives. Please accept our love, our adoration, and our praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take just a moment to uh, thank Carl for being here this week. I know those of you who have been here for every meeting. I, you know, when you listen to Carl, he has a way of uh, being open and transparent and vulnerable about how God is working and about God, how God is moving in his own life. And I have an appreciation for that. What about you? So, so Pastor Carl, we appreciate what you do, and the way you communicate God's love and his grace and forgiveness and restoration in your life. We want to thank you and just tell you that we appreciate that. And you may not know that just how humble Carl Hafner is. Carl Hafner ran the 5K race today, ah. and he did well. As soon as he was done, he just came back. I saw him walking. I said, how'd it go? He said, hey, I had fun. He didn't even wait for the award ceremonies. Brother yeah. Carl. Hey, hey. Silver medal. Silver medal. There you second go. place. Right. <laughs> second place in his age category, which will remain unnamed. His age category, 65 and over. You have been such a spiritual recharge to my soul. Thank you. I am so sad to think about leaving this paradise, but I do uh, have a long drive home, so as soon as we're done here this morning, I'm taking off and trying to get home to return the rental car before 6 p.m. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but what a blessing. Uh, it has been to hang out with you this week, to eat together, to go to meetings together. That's been a blessing to do the fun run 
uh, together. Clearly, there were only two people in my age category. Uh, but I am so thrilled that I came in second. And that's good. I got a medal to prove it. Um, and I did see some of you out there early in the morning. And I love earlier the better. Uh, I'm a morning person. My wife calls me annoyingly chirpy in the mornings. And uh, she says, I do not want you to even talk to me before 11 a.m. So that's our agreement because, as you know, there are only two kinds of people in the world, those who love to get up early in the morning and those who hate those who love to get up early in the morning. (laughs) And you know... Uh, what group I'm in there. So it was great to do that little uh, fun run. I have run a little bit uh, years past. I even uh, one time I, I did a marathon, and as you're uh, lining up at the starting line, you know, it's a very intimidating thing because you have all these Kenyan runners with their fancy uh, stopwatches, and I lined up uh, carrying my calendar. Uh, because I knew it was uh, going to be a while. And then when I finished, uh, people always asked me, so uh, how'd you do? And I said, I did great. I qualified to run the Boston Marathon. Really? Yeah, I did. If I was 106 and female, I would have qualified to run the Boston. But... uh, I actually wasn't in that age category, so uh, there you go. Through the years, I have run a little bit. I remember running one time the Riverwalk in San Antonio, Texas, when uh, this guy jumps out from behind this bush and about scares the kabajibis out of me. I mean, and he screams. He's right in my grill, nose to nose, shouting, are you saved? And when I finally collected my wits enough to talk, uh, I said yes, which seemed to surprise him. Uh, And he said, well, how can you say that? And so I gave him a very quick, impromptu Bible study, quoting a number of verses like 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. You know, he who has... The light has the Son, has eternal life, and said, because of the atoning sacrifice and the cross, and as I explained, suddenly he said, oh, oh, okay, fine. And then he's like, okay, jog on, and then he resumes his position back um, behind the bush. <laughs> now, I've thought about that conversation And wondered, if I was an unbeliever, whether or not that approach would convince me to be a Christian. I'm not so sure it would. In the words, you should have received your outline, yes? So let's go ahead and go to a story. In the words of Yurik Strazyak. Christians often come off as pushy or just plain weird. We want to rely on certain evangelistic systems, but minimize our reliance on Jesus. Yet instead of focusing on thousands of converts, why not focus on being a good friend to one 
person. We see so many churches that are shrinking. Every Christian simply loved one friend to Jesus once in their life, churches would continually double. If we would just do that. Sharing your faith, he says, is not about winning an argument to convince people that you are right and they are wrong. It's about loving them to Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so with this last installment together, we're going to look at the question, so how can we share him without being weird? How can we share Jesus in a winsome way? And so we look at a snapshot from the life of Jesus and take notes as to how he did this. We're in the story, John chapter 4, verse 1, if you have your Bible with the outline there. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And so to set up this conversation we are going to eavesdrop on, uh, we notice the context how the religious leaders, the church leaders, are all on tilt, they're tweaked out of shape because Jesus is living his mission to invite people into his kingdom way of life. So he left Judea went back once more to Galilee, which is about 70 miles. Now notice verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. I don't know if you've ever noticed that little word. If you have your outline, you can just circle it. He had to go through Samaria. You know, of course, that the Jews hated the Samaritans. According to the Mishnah, the Jewish codified law. They said Samaritans were deemed, quote, unclean from their cradle. Pharisees would regularly pray a prayer that God would pass over them in the resurrection. And the prayer, I'm not making this up, it was very simple, but it went like this, quote, ha, keep them down, Lord, keep them down. That's how the Jews felt toward the Samaritans. And Jesus had to go through Samaria. And so he set his GPS accordingly. Even though in that culture, GPS stood for geographically protected from the Samaritans. Every other Jewish rabbi would set the GPS unit accordingly so that they would circumvent, go around Samaria. Not Jesus. He had to go through Samaria. Uh, Last year, my daughter spent a year studying French at Cologne, and so over Christmas, we went to meet her and went to uh, Prague together, and then one day drove to Salzburg. Now, I thought it was going to be about a five-hour trip. Turned out to be like a ten-hour trip, and for some reason, we were going through these really small back streets of European towns, and it took us forever to finally get there. It was only later that I realized the reason for that was because somehow on my GPS unit, I had clicked the little box that said avoid 
tolls. Even though with the rental car, we had prepaid all tolls. We went way out of our way. It was a pretty drive and all that, but way out of our way. Well, this is what the Jews would do to avoid the Samaritans. Go way out of the way. Would set that little box in their GPS units, avoid Samaria. Richard Phillips, in his book, Jesus, the Evangelist, writes, Many Christians today wall themselves off from the world the way the Jews of Jesus' time did. Just as the Jews chose to bypass Samaria to avoid defilement, they didn't want to get sullied by the Samaritans, we too tend to travel only within our own subculture. If we interact with worldly people, we certainly don't think that they have anything to offer us. Small wonder then that they are not open to what we have to offer them. Jesus was not like that. He walked through the world and treated even a scandalous Samaritan woman with grace. Even a scandalous Samaritan woman with grace. See, we dare not cloister in the sanitary confines of our sanctuaries, avoiding people, saying, if they want what we have to offer, then they can come to us. No. We've got to go where they are. We've got to swallow our fears that maybe they are going to sully us, contaminate us. No. The very notion of not building friendships with people who are far from God because we don't want to be contaminated by the world is as ridiculous and ludicrous as is this commercial we're going to see that I meant to show you yesterday and I just plumb forgot. So now we get to see this video today. Take a look. Are you tired of having to avoid all the sinners you come in contact with every day? Are you disgusted by all the non-Christians around you? If only there was something that could keep the unclean heathens away from you. Now there is. Introducing the Christian Bubble. The Christian Bubble is an amazing new device that allows Christians to ignore the fallen world around them and remain in a small bubble of holiness. The Christian Bubble has been scientifically engineered to insulate Christians from the sights, sounds, and smells of a world they are simply too good for while at the same time covering their faces from the view of the wicked people that don't know God. Available in regular and extra large. Order one today. The Christian Bubble is not recommended for Christians that want to serve others as Christ did or those that truly love their neighbors. May cause suffocation. Verse 5, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now let's take some notes 
pick up some pointers from the master evangelist himself, Jesus, on how we can witness without being weird, how we can be winsome in sharing him. So you will notice some blanks there on your outline. You can fill in some of these pointers that we get from this conversation that ensues. Beginning with this first suggestion, start with a question. This is what Jesus does. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? First tip from Jesus, start with a question. There's something about questions like this that are, on the one hand, almost, um, you know, uh, disarming. Uh, It takes a a little humility, doesn't it? Uh, to, To ask, I need something from you. Frederick Godet says, Jesus is not unaware that the way to gain a soul is often to ask a service of it. I discovered this years over putting myself through college by canvassing student literature evangelists. And so we'd go door to door uh, all summer selling books and Bibles. And my brother and I both discovered the magic of starting with a question. As soon as you could, we always asked the person, Mrs. Jones, um, would I I don't want to trouble you, but would you be willing to uh, maybe just... You know, give me a drink of water. Uh, I'm thirsty. And uh, almost every time, people were uh, not only willing, but just happy to give you a drink of water. And then my brother and I, we kind of refined the question a little bit, and we said, uh, could you give me a drink of water? Or whatever's more convenient, like there's anything more convenient than just a glass of tap water, but inevitably when we said whatever's most convenient, uh, Mrs. Jones would offer, oh, well, would you like some soda or would you like some orange juice? And we'd say, oh, yeah, well, that's even better, sure, if you, if you don't mind. There's something disarming about asking someone for a favor, right? Brian Fickert, in his book, When Helping Hurts, tells about enrolling in this uh, witnessing class, and one of the assignments was they had to go to the worst part of town. It was really a sketch neighborhood, and they were instructed to go and just ask people at the door, what gifts do you have? What are your talents? Well, Brian writes that uh, he felt really awkward about this. He says, the truth is, I just wanted to die. Racial tensions were still very present in our city, so I knew that there would at least be some social discomfort for both the African-American residents of this housing project and for me. Furthermore, my height can be quite startling and intimidating. Brian Fickert is over seven feet tall. So he knocks on a door. A five-foot-two African-American answers, and he asks her, what gifts do you have? (laughs) She's a bit startled by this seven-foot giant asking her such an awkward question, didn't know how to respond, and she just stood there. And so he repeated, what are you good at? What are your talents? 
Ah, uh, she's just speechless. Until a voice in the back of the house shouted out, She's an excellent cook. Nobody cooks chitlins like she does. And Brian said, oh, really? Tell me more. So they invited him in and then started to share the gifts and the talents of one another. Uh, He writes, they went on and on and on, bragging about one another to me. We started a process of empowerment by asking a simple question. What gifts do you have? When one is feeling marginalized, such a simple question can be nothing short of revolutionary. So Jesus just asks her, can I get a drink of water? Just a simple question. We don't have to be real intimidated about fulfilling the Great Commission. Just begin with a question. Tell me what interests you. Tell me what you're good at. Tell me your story. Second tip. Look for opportunities to discuss spiritual matters. Did you get that? Just look for opportunities to turn the conversation to spiritual matters. Just be cognizant of these opportunities. And when you get a chance, you might be able to turn the conversation to something spiritual. Jesus does this in his conversation. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. She states the obvious. Now notice what Jesus does in the conversation. He turns it to spiritual issues. Jesus replies, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So he is seeding her imagination by comparing well water to spiritual living water. And he talks about the difference between the material world and the spiritual world. And again, if you start every day saying, God, today, I just want to share Jesus. So give me opportunities whenever I can without it feeling forced or manipulative or weird. Just help me to turn conversations to the spiritual realm. Um, Just this last Easter weekend, I noticed on that Friday of the weekend, uh, my neighbors had done a really nice thing. They had hired a landscaping company to clean out the creek uh, that borders both of our properties. And so we kind of share this creek, but it was all overgrown with weeds and trees and junk. And it took a crew of four workers all day to clean it out. So this was a big, big job. And of course, you would think, we would have helped in that expense, right? But I didn't even know that they were going to do that. Now, I haven't had any conversations with them, hadn't met them. They haven't lived there that long. And so uh, that Friday afternoon, 
I went down to the store and I purchased an Easter lily. It was something so simple. And wrote a card, really appreciate. We're more than happy to help uh, with the expenses involved in that job, but uh, just thank you so much for doing that. And I felt a little awkward uh, because, like I say, I didn't, don't really know them, but uh, that evening I went over, finally worked up my courage, and I thought, on Easter, Lily, this will at least let her know uh, that, you know, we believe in Easter, maybe. And so I knocked on the door. She came. When she opened the door, she audibly gasped. (gasps) She saw me standing there with this flower. And then she, like, staggered back, stumbled back. Then she started to fight tears. I'm thinking, oh my, (laughs) what have I done? You know, and she can't even talk until finally she regains her composure and she says, oh my, thank you so much. I said, you know, I just (laughs) wanted to wish you a happy Easter this weekend and and, uh, really appreciate uh, you guys taking care of that creek. It looks so much better and thank you and she said, oh, oh, yeah, well, we're happy to do it. And, and then she uh, explained why the emotion. She said, uh, I was on my back porch. Pouring out my heart to God. So just like that, the conversation turns spiritual. She said, I was pouring out my heart to God because we have a 14-year-old teenager in the house. And then, of course, I understood. I said, I, I have two teenage daughters myself. I get it. I get the tears. I get the crying out. I get the prayer. I am so in your corner on this one. Would it be okay if I prayed for your daughter? Oh, I would appreciate that so much. It's just something so simple. But see, if we take the initiative and look for opportunities to just connect with people, who knows where the conversation goes, right? And so it was a very meaningful dialogue with my neighbor. And now I feel like I really know her well. So look for these opportunities to turn the conversation toward God. Tip number three, share the benefits of faith. Share the benefits of following Jesus, of sharing Jesus. In other words, don't just try to convince them that your understanding and interpretation of Scripture is right and theirs is wrong. just, just, Just talk about the benefits that you enjoy because you're a follower of Jesus. Notice how this conversation goes. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? So she's spiritually open and curious. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? 
And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this uh, water will not be thirsty. Again, it's so positive. I mean, who wouldn't want this? But, he says, Everyone who drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Well, who would not be interested in this kind of living water? And Jesus says, this is what I can offer you. So when you share your faith, when you share him, do it in a positive way and share the benefits. We don't always do this well as Christians, do we? I remember one conversation I had with a woman on the airplane sitting next to me. She was so negative. Everything. Just whine, whine, complain about this and that. and It was just wearying. And then when she discovered that I'm a pastor, she had to spiritualize all of her woes. And finally, you know, she just kind of exclaims, ah, well, you know, God said that we were going to just be persecuted and we would have to just suffer and suffer and suffer. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'll just suffer until Jesus calls me home. And I'm praying, Jesus, call her home already. (laughs) Oh. I I didn't pray that. Um, Not in those exact words, but... um, There are so many wonderful benefits about following Jesus. There's so many wonderful benefits about being a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. The number one thing that people want in life is, is health. You know, you can have all the money that you, you know, can want or spend. But think about how rich people, they'll invest all of that money for health. So how about as Adventists, we start there and say, one of the reasons I'm a Seventh-day Adventist is because of our health message. Do you know, we live an average almost of 10 years longer. And people, well, who doesn't want to live 10 years longer? It's just so much more winsome than, well, we just suffer and suffer till, you know, at last Jesus comes to put an end to all of our misery. And people today, they're looking for hope. Well, we are ambassadors of hope, are we not? I mean, it's in our very DNA as Adventists. That's our name. That's our whole identity. We are Adventists. We are looking forward to the second advent of Jesus. Jesus is coming again. Look at the craziness going on in the world. And we can be positive and we have such amazing benefits to share to the world, don't we? Because the world's a wreck. It's a hot mess. And Jesus is probing on raw nerves here even still to this day, because people are thirsty. And they're looking for what he can offer, only he can offer, in all different places. 
And they just keep coming up empty, don't they? Because nothing satisfies that thirst of the soul like Jesus. Nothing. I think back, I've always been a big extremist, right? So when it comes to my running career, and now I have a medal to speak of in my running career, um, it really started back when I was a student missionary in uh, South Africa. When I landed, my friends who lived there and had recruited me to come and be a literature evangelist for a year in South Africa, they were going on about this uh, big sporting event, the big event in South Africa back in the day, and I, I think they still do, it was called a comrade's race. It is this grueling 56-mile race, uh, ultra-marathon, and it climbs over 3,000 feet from sea level. But we watched this VHS tape. Remember that technology? This video they were showing me of people finishing this race. And you finish in this huge stadium that's just packed with people. It's like running into the Super Bowl. And I could just envision myself doing that. Crossing the finish line to the cheers of Tens of thousands of fans. And so I determined, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I start running. Never run before. So that very day, I went out and bought a pair of blue Adidas running shoes. Figured, okay, this will work. They didn't have my size. Very limited choice. But I figured, how important could that be? That the shoes fit. I'm not a very bright person, and so that was Friday. I purchased the shoes. On Sunday, I figured, okay, time to start training. I knew nothing about training for a marathon. This was even before the days of Google, where you could just Google it, and then you'd know how to train for a marathon. But I figured, okay, I live 13 miles to... Uh, the Swaziland border. I thought, well, that would be about right. If I were to run 13 miles there and then run 13 miles back, that would be a good initiation run. I got to get up to 52 miles, but 26 miles, yeah, that's probably a good place to start. So I started out early Sunday morning, and I was feeling really, really strong. And then when I got to, like, the second mile, uh, I was starting to feel a little winded. Uh, By the time I got to the border, 13 miles away, I knew I was in trouble. Because I didn't really think that it would be important on a run of that length to think about hydration, for example. You know, you might want to get some water. But the only way back was to turn around and run back. And it wasn't like this was a busy road so that there were cars going by, nor were there many stores. But there was one store that on my way to the border, it was closed. And so about halfway back to my home, I thought, hopefully 
that store is open. Because by this point, I was dragging. I could hardly walk, and my feet were killing me. As it turns out, it is important that the shoes fit, right? So I go into this store. Of course, I had no money to purchase anything, and I didn't speak Swahili, but I'm trying to explain to this store owner, I promise you, I'll pay you ten times the amount. Now, they didn't have bottled water, and they didn't have running water in this store, They had orange Fanta soda. That's all they had. And I took three liters and just guzzled the Fanta soda and said, I'll come back and pay for this. And then I dragged home and spent the next week recovering on my back in the bed, and never ran since, you know. <laughs> If you're wondering, oh, finish the story. Yeah, there was a story I forgot to finish the other day, or yesterday, and I said, oh, I'll tell you the end of that story tomorrow, but I don't remember what the story was now. Does anybody remember? Like, if you couldn't sleep last night, just shout it out, and I'll finish it real quick. Oh, Woody Harrelson, yeah. What was the question? I, I never answered a bunch of questions. Uh, no, I, I did tell him I'm not really Woody, but he didn't believe me. So I thought, okay, we're good, Lord. I didn't lie. I, you know, you don't believe me. And then what was the other one? Oh, did I make that? Was the, that was the one that yesterday they were saying. Uh, yeah, um, did I make the, the flight? Yeah, in fact, I got to the gate and my wife's there and she was blown away by how quickly Uh, I got there, and then I told her the whole Woody story, and yeah, we got back home, and everything was good. So, all right, so we're we done with that story, everybody. Oh, I hate this preacher, man. He just doesn't finish his story. So, let me finish the, let me finish the, uh, the running story, uh, although I think I have finished it. Uh, you know, I just... Um, didn't run again for the rest of the year in South Africa, and I did not uh, win the comrades race that year. I did not run the comrades race that year, uh, and I never wore those blue Adidas running shoes again, and I have never, this is true, I have never even sipped orange soda since that day. Uh, I hate orange soda. I hate Fanta. I hate everything. That, I hate the color blue. Uh, and I've never run on, uh, but never run with Adidas running shoes. But anyway, I'll work out all that with my, you know, therapist later. Uh, it just, uh, because here's the deal, friends. You know, when you're thirsty, I mean, really, really thirsty, uh, there's nothing that quenches your thirst like water. I mean, we desperately need water to live. And spiritually, there is nothing that quenches that deep, dark hunger of the soul like living water. And this is what Jesus was getting at. And so in my paraphrase of this story, 
from the KHV, again, the Carl Hafner version of the Bible, the verse goes something like this. Drink the water of this world, and you will find it as refreshing as swallowing sand. Guzzle from the geyser of instant gratification, casual hookups, binge drinking, raucous parties, gulp at the fountain of materialism, yachts, villas, planes, toys, trinkets. Swig from the spring of success, degrees, promotions, trophies, accolades aplenty. It's all sand. It is a mirage of meaning that will always leave you dying of thirst. There is only one way to quench your thirsty soul. Drink the water that only Jesus offers. Here's his promise. Anyone who drinks from my well will never be thirsty again. You will be an artesian spring with overflowing fountains that gush with joy and peace and endless life. There's such wonderful benefits to being a Jesus follower, to drink of the living water. So why not share these benefits with people who don't know Jesus? Final tip, offer unconditional acceptance. This one is so important. Offer unconditional acceptance. We wonder, why do young people leave the church? Many of the young people that I have talked to, even very recently, I've just sat through uh, several focus groups with hundreds of young people wanting to know, why have you left the church? Or what would it take to keep you engaged in this church? Over and over and over, I hear the same thing. We just feel judged and criticized. We don't feel accepted in the church. We're accepted as long as we embrace their music and their worship style, and their genre, and their way of life, but this is what people are hungry, to feel the love and the acceptance and the forgiveness of Jesus in our local churches. So let's notice how Jesus does this in the story. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said to me is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Jesus is absolutely masterful in the way he does this. It's not like Jesus is soft on sin. He says to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. 
But can you see how Jesus navigates this conversation so that she spills her guts, her sins, and she does it in a way that she's not feeling condemned or judged, but rather she comes to this point of spiritual epiphany where she says, I can see. You are a prophet, even though Jesus has just exposed her darkest sins. I mean, this is a scandalous woman, especially in the ancient world. Because in that culture, a woman did not have the right to initiate divorce. So you think about all of the pain and the brokenness in this woman's story. She did not initiate the five divorces. Five times. She heard, I reject you. I don't want you. Five times, so much pain. Of course, everybody has a story. Everybody has chapters in their story that are titled rejection, shame, guilt. So Jesus plants his church in the middle of all of this darkness and brokenness in the world. He puts us, his followers, in the middle of this hot mess that is our world today. He says, I I, I want you to love people, to accept people who are hurting and broken. Don't judge them, but rather accept them and share the love of Jesus. You know, in Australia, there are many cattle ranchers that have hundreds and thousands of acres of land. And so they face the challenge, how do you keep your cattle on your property? There are basically two options. You can put a fence around the perimeter of the property. But, of course, this can be very expensive especially if you own thousands of acres, but it's one option. The other option is you can drill a well. And the cattle will naturally want to go to the water. Now, it's interesting. The rabbis in the ancient world would actually talk about building fences around the Torah to keep people in, to keep them protected from the awful world out there, to stay pure. That's why they had all of these laws that stated you could not even get within close proximity of a Samaritan. Didn't want to be defiled. And so they had all of these fences to keep themselves pure. And into this, Jesus comes and he says, no, let me offer you something better. Living water. 
Of course people are going to be drawn to the water that is so refreshing and so rejuvenating. And so as churches, we have to ask ourselves, which approach are we going to take? To set up fences and invite people to come and be holy like us after they clean themselves up? Or are we just going to live the living water? To have Christ in us? Some years ago, I was at Taco Bell drive-thru. And uh, I ordered uh, two burritos, uh, beans instead of beef, in case anybody's judging me here. <laughs> when I noticed after I had ordered that there was a new menu item, which I don't know why I fall for this, because let's be honest, every menu item at Taco Bell is comprised of the same exact ingredients, you know, but instead of putting the beans in the burrito and then the cheese, they flip it around and put the cheese and then the beans and then they charge you three times as much and they give it a different name. And so I noticed this new menu item, a cantina burrito or something like that. And so I changed my mind and said, hey, hey, instead of two bean burritos, could I get that, could I try that new menu item? And uh, the guy says to me through the drive-thru, you know, speaker, he says, oh, yeah, not a problem. We'll do that. And then he accidentally left his transmitter on so that I could hear the ensuing conversation (laughs) that he had with the girl in the back making the burritos. Uh, And so he said to her, oh, oh, hey, Sarah, wait, wait. He just changed his mind. And she exclaimed, what an idiot. So uh, he said, oh, relax, relax. He, he just wants one beamer and he wants this. And she said, oh, people are impossible. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to sort of say, I can hear you, but <laughs> I, I didn't. I, I was quite interested by this point what she's going to say next. And then he says to her, Your job is not to judge the man. Your job is to just make him a burrito. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. Uh, And she said, I know, but he's still an idiot. (laughs) And then he said, direct quote, he said, your job's not to judge. Leave the judgment to God. And I thought, now that will preach. Um, So I kept the receipt so I could write off the meal as a tax deduction. Uh, If any of you are IRS agents, I'm kidding. I'm so kidding. Um, uh, Well, yesterday I happened in Uh, to somebody that I had met a few years ago and she connected the dots for me and said, I'm the one uh, who asked you to send me that reading for our church bulletin for our church. It was over right down the street at the Arden 7th-day Adventist Church. A few years ago, I happened to be there for the weekend speaking and, and I shared a reading. And so up until yesterday, I had forgotten all about that. But I was thrilled to hear that in the church, they're still 
uh, including this reading to visitors that basically say, whoever you are, why ever you're here in our church, you're welcome. You're not going to be judged. Here's the reading. I pulled it up on my computer this morning. Uh, It's from the Lady of Lords Catholic Church down in Florida. And they put this in their bulletin. We extend a special welcome to those who are single, married, divorced, gay, filthy, rich, dirt, poor, yo no habla ingles. We extend a special welcome to those who are crying newborns, skinny as a rail or could afford to lose a few pounds. We welcome you if you can sing like Andrea Bocelli or like our pastor who can't carry a note in a bucket. You're welcome here if you're just browsing, just woke up, or just got out of jail. We don't care if you're more Catholic than the Pope or haven't been in church since little Joey's baptism. We extend a special welcome to those who are over 60 but not grown up yet and to teenagers who are growing up too fast. We welcome soccer moms, NASCAR dads, starving artists, tree huggers, latte sippers, vegetarians, junk food eaters. We welcome those who are in recovery or are still addicted. We welcome you if you're having problems or if you're down in the dumps or if you don't like organized religion. We've been there too. If you blew all of your money at the dog track, you're welcome here. We offer a special welcome to those who think the earth is flat, work too hard, don't work, can't spell, or because grandma's in town and she wanted to go to church. We welcome those who are inked, pierced, or both. We offer a special welcome to those who could use a prayer right now, had religion shoved down your throat as a kid or got lost in traffic and wound up here by mistake. We welcome tourists, seekers, doubters, bleeding hearts, and you. I wonder, what if we were to extend that kind of a welcome to people? My hunch is if we were to throw down a welcome mat like that, people would be trampling over each other to get into our churches. To just show the non judgmental acceptance of Jesus. Now, this is how we can share Him in a way that is winsome. And true to the example that Jesus gives us. Now, you have to notice with me the rest of the story, and we'll end it right here. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And my prayer is that next time I make my way down to the Carolina conference, I'll get the same report from all of us as a result of us spending the time together this week that we have. And it has been so enjoyable. Thank you. But I hope this is kind of the report I get that so many people have found their way into our community of faith because of a group of people gathered here today have said, God, we just want to share you. We want to share the good news. We want to share the gospel because of our testimony. God, please send your Holy Spirit upon every one of us. Just 
baptize us. That we would live and love like Jesus so that we could effectively share Jesus and build your kingdom here in this conference is our prayer in your name. Amen.